Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Restoration Foursquare Church. RFC, located in Concord, New Hampshire, is a church that desires to develop disciples who will love God, love people, and serve the city. We pray that this sermon will help you grow in your understanding of who God is and how much He loves you. I hope you're excited to be here today. We've heard already heard great stories of praise. God is God is doing neat things. It's there is victory and joy even in times of hardship. And God is good and loves us and takes care of us. We are powering through Acts. If you've been with us, we've gone through the first couple of chapters today. We are on Acts 3. It is a fantastic chapter. It's a neat thing that God's doing. If you were younger or even if you're older and you've ever had a dream about changing the world, Acts is what you want to look at. Acts is the story of the birth of the largest change in human society that's ever occurred. If you've ever studied history, the biggest shift in all of human history has been the arrival of Christianity. Its effect on civilization has been unparalleled. It has made a change in every aspect of our life. Because we've grown up under it, we don't see the difference it's made. We've taken it for granted that what the Spirit's presence in the world has done. But this is exciting times we're reading and studying. We started out with a small group of people stuck in the upper room in Acts 1. They were nervous. They were afraid. The Holy Spirit came. Acts 2 happened. Peter went out, stood before the crowd, brought the message, and the church was born in that day. Today we're in Acts 3. Things are beginning to pick up, to move fast. Acts chapter 3 begins, and Peter and John are heading to the temple. We're going to look at a few things that they did, because in this chapter, we're going to read all of chapter 3, there are three primary verbs, three acts, if you will, that Peter and John do while they're in the temple that day. So join me if you would. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read there. Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, depending on how you calculate it. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid at the day, daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. This was a guy they were carrying out, putting him out there. He couldn't walk, dropping him on the step, and he was begging for money. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. All day, every day, that was the beggar's situation. He got carried out. He got dropped in a spot. He sat there. Lots and lots of people came in the temple. This was the center of the Jewish religion. It was busy every day. There were hours of prayer. People would come. People would go. And he tried to get money. I think we have a graphic of the temple. He was probably, they call it the beautiful gate. We're not entirely clear what gate that was. The temple had a lot of gates. Some people think it's this little front archway in front of the big golden one. Some people think it's one of the lesser ones, like down in the outside wall where you come there. Either way, he was stuck in the flow of traffic with people who probably did not want him there. If you've ever traveled somewhere where there are a lot of people that are begging, it's never a fun situation. You're trying to do something, someone is touching you, pulling you, asking you for something, whether it's Boston downtown, whether it's someone holding up a sign by the corner of the road, it's always a little awkward. Do I look at them? Do I give them something? What do I do? This was this guy's life. He was stuck there in front of a gate. 
he was probably fairly old. He was probably had done this his entire life. This was all he knew. And he wants something from the people that are going in there. He's sitting at the heart of the temple. He's either inside the temple itself or he's right on the outside. He's at the heart of his spirituality, of his world system. This is where God's presence is. And all he wants is a little bit of money. All he's thinking about is, I need a little bit of money. And I'm not faulting him for this. Money's really important, especially when it comes to things like food, and you know, bread, and staying alive. And he didn't have any other way of doing this. But there's a thing here that was going on. There are three things I said at work here. The first one is that Peter and John were living out God's timing. This guy's whole life had been consistent of this, but in this moment, God's timing was at play, and Peter and John were part of that. The first thing that they're doing, the first act that, they're, that Peter and John are doing in this chapter is they're living out God's timing in their lives and in this beggar's life. Because why Peter and John? Was there something about Peter and John that stood out to him? If you've ever seen the old uh, 13th century paintings, were they walking around with the uh, apostolic halo around their head? And he said, oh, I should ask those guys for money. They've got the golden halo. It wasn't that. We look at the passage and he says, he asked Peter and John about to go in the temple. He asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him and said, look at us. The beggar didn't even really care about who they were. He wasn't following them with his gaze. Peter had to say, hey, wait, wait, you just asked us for money. Pay attention. Look at us. And in that moment, it wasn't them trying to be super spiritual. There wasn't something about them that the beggar said, oh, these guys are different. He was just wanting to profit off them trying to be holy. Peter and John were going into the temple. They were following a huge crowd of people that were going in for the hour of prayer. The beggar was hoping that he would get something off people as they're going to try to curry favor with God. If you're going to the hour of prayer, what better way to get God to hear your prayers than if you've been kind to the beggars that are sitting out in front? He wasn't, he wasn't aware of God's timing on this day. Peter and John were living out God's timing on this day because this wasn't a time for charity strategies. This wasn't a time for anything like that. It was God's timing for life change, and that was what was going to happen for this guy. Read with me in verses 6 to 10. Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John were there. The beggar was there. But most importantly, God was there, and they were living out his timing in healing this beggar. The second thing they were doing is they were acting out God's plan for this beggar's life and for their lives. Their plans were put aside. Why did Peter and John come to the temple? To heal? To do ministry? Why were they there? To pray. They came to pray. And you know what's interesting about this story? Peter and John did not get to pray. Their entire day was derailed. They went probably tired, 
They've been busy. They have 3,000 new converts, more than 3,000 new converts they've been dealing with. They're trying to figure out how to make the church work. They're swamped. Peter pulls John aside probably and says, hey, let's go up to the temple and just pray. Let's recenter. Let's focus. And they can't even get in the temple without having to do ministry, without having to do work. They didn't get to take the easy way out. And I'll be honest, this hits home for me because there probably was an easy way out here. This guy had asked for money. I don't know if Peter literally did not have a dime on him. I don't know if John literally did not have a dime on him, but there was an easy way out here. Peter could have just said, here you go. Peter could have just turned to the side. He could have said, John, give him some money. And they could have gone on in and they could have prayed and they would have missed what God's plan was. And this hits home for me because I'll be honest, a lot of times it's easier just to write the check. A lot of times it's easier to, if you will, to pay someone else to do ministry. It's easier just to give someone some cash and be done with it. It's easier just to drop my check in the offering and hope that Kevin takes care of things. But that's not what we're called to do. That's not God's plan. We cannot spiritualize our way away from what God's doing. We cannot use our financial resources to avoid God using us in his plan, to avoid God having us take a tangible role in his ministry. We also can't be too busy being spiritual to serve. They had another good excuse. They were going in to pray. They didn't have time to stop. Praying is important. This was an hour of prayer. This was a set-aside time to pray. And it's easy for us to use that as an excuse to look past someone, to look past a need, to look past what God's plan for us is in a moment because we're acting out in spiritual ways. And I would caution that we not become too busy to pray, but at the same time, we not become too busy praying to serve. We need both. We need to have our hands ready and willing to see God's timing in a situation and act out God's plan. There's a danger in loving our spirituality overly much. Uh, I don't know if you remember, a couple years ago we were reading through Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 7, one of the verses that has stood out to me is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 16, and it says, do not be overly righteous. And I always think, what does that mean? How, how does one become overly righteous? <laughs> like, I mean, you want to keep moving up the scale, right? But there's a danger in letting our righteousness prevent us from putting our hands to work. There's a danger in letting our supposed spirituality prevent us from getting our hands dirty with people, from helping people, from saying, no, I am going to church. I can't stop to help somebody. Because there's a priority in God's kingdom. God's priorities are not that we check boxes. God's priorities aren't that you make sure that your little warm seat is warm every Sunday. It's great that you're here. I'm excited that you're here. The heart of God's kingdom isn't filling a spot. The heart of God's kingdom is us being Christ in our world. It's us being a part of this revolution in our community. So let us not get so spiritual that we're not out there seeing what God's plan is and not acting it out. I like to think, too, that Peter and John may have just wanted a moment after everything a moment to decompress 
if you've ever been in a time when God's moving, it's amazing, it's exciting, it's stressful, it's tiring. You need a break. And they didn't get it. They, uh, they had plans to go to probably to pray, to be quiet, to keep a low profile. We make plans and God chuckles. God has his plans and God was using them to act that out. So don't love our plans too much. God's plan was for them to be hands-on. I like what happens in verse 6 and 7 here. It's, it's an interesting story of healing. Peter says, I have no silver and gold. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the guy doesn't really get up. And in verse 7 it says, He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter had to be hands-on here. Peter had to encourage the beggar to see that the miracle had in fact been done. I think there's a lesson here. When we're ministering and when we're working with people, when we're doing the work of life change, we're having to help people unlearn a lifetime of bad habits. We're having to help people unlearn a lifetime of struggles. A lifetime of hurt has to be undone. Peter doesn't just say, rise up and walk, and then wait for this guy to believe. He grabs him. He says, come up, you're healed, you're done. I'm going to touch you, who is probably filthy. I'm going to grab you, who may or may not have even been allowed inside the temple due to uncleanliness. I am going to touch you, I'm going to grab you, I'm going to pull you up here, and I'm going to walk with you. Peter and John go with him, and he goes crazy. He, once he realizes he can walk, he walks and leaps and praises God. There was an old kid's song about that. I don't know if anyone ever sang that, but he went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and something. There's a reason that none of us that speak sing, I think. So, <laughs> But we can't drop ship minister. Does anyone ever play a video games? Yeah, a few people do. How do you get like loot and stuff in certain video games? It drops down, right? You get a drop crate, you discover something, you get what you need, you go on. That's not how we are called to do ministry. We aren't called to do loot crate ministry. We aren't called to do dropship ministry. We don't give someone their packet and say, good luck to you, we gotta go pray. We go with them. Peter and John took him with them, they walked with him. They walked with him through the celebration. They were going into a solemn temple with a guy who was walking and leaping and jumping and praising, who was so excited. And we need to do that. As we come alongside people and do ministry, we need to walk with them in the celebration. Through the good times, there is joy in God's healing, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical. We need to celebrate with people. May we not be so accustomed to what God's done that we fail to rejoice in it. May we be caught up in the wonder of what he does and celebrate with people. We also need to walk with him through the neediness. In verse 11, if you look at that, it says, while he clung to Peter and John. Have you ever been clung to? There was a lot of neediness still. He wasn't ready to let go. He was wanting to hang on to them. They had done something amazing, and he needed them. But they walked with him through that. They kept him with him. They didn't send him off. They picked him up. 
They celebrated with him and they walked with him through the neediness. And then their day wasn't done yet. They didn't sit back. They didn't get to rest. They also had to preach. Part of acting out God's plan this day was Peter was going to get to give a message. This was a, this was somewhat instructive personally for me today. It's I think Peter probably would have liked to have a lot of time to prepare. I think Peter probably would have enjoyed uh, God letting him know that hey, you're going to have to address a huge multitude in the temple today. But acting out God's plan doesn't require us to have everything we want. Acting out God's plan doesn't require us to have all our ducks in a row. God had placed them in a situation in his timing with his plan, and what Peter's responsibility was was to respond to that. So he got to preach to a crowd impromptu, and I'll be honest, we're going to read it here. His message is not that great, if I may condemn the Apostle Peter. And like he bounces around, he doesn't follow any set narrative, he kind of jumps from topic to topic, and he's, it's not even that long of a message, but he bounces around like crazy. But God wasn't looking for him to be flawless. God was looking for him to be faithful. God was looking for Peter to say, hey, you know what? I have an opportunity, and I'm going to act out God's plan in this. We're living out God's timing here in the temple. We're acting out God's plan. And that's to speak. God in his timing had a temple full of people at the hour of prayer ready to hear. And there's a challenge for all of us that we live life prepared. We live life prepared for what God has for us. Ready to speak when the opportunity comes. We don't have to be ready to give a dissertation. Peter wasn't. We don't have to be prepared with a 12-point message every time someone asks us about Christ. But we do need to be prepared to give a hope for what we have. The third act that Peter and John did was that they spoke out God's message. Peter does an amazing job on short notice, and as much as I was saying it's not that great, he does something completely remarkable. In just a few short verses, he shares the gospel. He jumps around. He doesn't bring everything home in three neat points, but he gives a gospel message, and he does it in a certain way. He tells about what had happened to them. And he, this is called contextualizing. As Peter's giving this message of hope, he contextualizes it to the crowd. Look at me in verse, look at with me in verse 12. It says, when Peter saw it, the crowd gathering together to see it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? And jump down, if you would, to verse 16. In his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see now. And the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He contextualized what had happened. He gave credit where credit was due. He turned it away from themselves. The gospel isn't about us. God's working and God's power isn't about us. It's, it's interesting to me, Peter and John didn't even call attention to this miracle to begin with. As best we can tell, they would have healed him quietly and gone on into the temple. As hard as it is for us in 2020 to wrap our heads around this, they wouldn't have made a social media post about what they were doing. They wouldn't have gotten a selfie with the guy. Can walk now. 
they would have quietly gone on into the temple and prayed. As we do ministry, we cannot act to be recognized. This is always an issue for us as humans. When God uses you to do something, rejoice in it, be glad in it, and may I challenge us even to let it go then. Do good and do it quietly. Because you know what? When God wants something to have attention, he'll bring it there. God will bring the attention that he wants to what we do. And he does in this situation. God directed the attention here. You know what? This guy had been at the temple long enough that everybody coming into the temple knew who he was. The crowd gathered, not because they saw him stand up, but because they saw him walking around and leaping and knowing, wait, this was the guy that's been out front for all these years begging for money. Now he's up. God brought the attention that he wanted to the situation. The guy healed went crazy. Peter and John were saying, look, he's healed. He was jumping around. That was what brought the crowd. And Peter and John reminded the crowd that they were only the vessels of the healing. The vessels of the healing and the vessels of the message that Christ had. That's what contextualization is. Peter immediately begins his message of the gospel by saying, hey, you see what's going on here? What's happening in your life? This little part of your culture that's slowly being changing? You're jumping into a big story and pay attention. So he talks about the listener's role in the message. He talks about their role in the story of the gospel. Look with me if you would in verses 13 through 15. It says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God that we've built this temple around, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Jump with me to verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter brings it home to them as he's speaking out God's message that they, unaware or unintentional, had failed to see what was in front of them and they were culpable of Christ. Their sin, their failure to see what God had brought to them left them guilty. Peter isn't mincing words here. And there's a time not to do that. There's a time when the gospel has to be direct. To say there is culpability in all of us. All of us have failed and fallen short. But their wrong actions had brought about something beautiful. Their wrong actions had brought Christ to the cross, but that also brought Christ out of the grave to the resurrection. And Peter says that, that God foretold by all the mouths of the prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Their role in the prophecy, if I can paraphrase Gandalf, didn't make the prophecy any less true. By the fact that they were acting in God's timing and God's plan there, it still didn't make it any less true. And Peter talks about the action required of them. He's contextualizing the story. He's bringing the listeners and their role into the story. And he tells them what's required of them in this message. Verses 19 and 20 say, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. The gospel message isn't passive. There's always a call to action in the gospel. Their actions had brought them to the point that inaction was a choice. And so it is for us. Inaction is always a choice. We can continue in our sin. 
or we can repent and receive all that God has intended for us. He talks about the hope that is in front of them. He says in verses 21 and 22, whom heaven and earth must receive until the time, or sorry, for 20 and 21, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. We contextualize the gospel. We bring the listener's role into the story. We talk about the action required of people to receive the gospel, and we talk about the hope in front of them, because the gospel is the ultimate story of hope. God is redeeming creation. God is refreshing his people. God is changing our lives and accomplishing his purposes through our changed lives. This is the gospel, a story that's involving us all. Peter brings that home. He talks in verse 25 and 26 how they're the sons of the prophet and of the covenant, that Abraham was their father, and they're coming into that story. This is the gospel message. It requires us to be informed. It requires us to be prepared, but not academic. Peter isn't giving a launching into how Isaiah prophesied and Christ fulfilled it, and here's the 34 points of prophecy that God, Christ met. But he is putting it in their context. He's bringing out the need that they all have, what's required of them, and the hope they have. Peter speaks out the message, and that's it. There's no magic formula. Um, congratulations, you've all had evangelism training now, and so we will uh, go out and we will do this. Peter took the timing cue from God, he embraced the change of plans, and he proclaimed the message of God. So what are we to take from this then? What is it that we need to learn from what happened here? Because this was a fundamental picking up of pace in the early church. It catalyzed a lot of things. And we started out talking about God's timing here, God's timing in the beggar's life, God's timing in Peter and John's life. But there's a greater timing at work here too. Who else had been coming to the temple pretty regularly for the past three to four years prior to this that could have healed this guy? Jesus. Jesus had been coming in and out of the temple for a lot of years and yet this guy wasn't healed. I don't know why. I don't know if he never saw Jesus. I don't know if Jesus was always surrounded by a big enough crowd that he couldn't get to him. Scripture doesn't tell us why this guy wasn't healed, except that Scripture is clear that our healing serves a larger purpose. Our healing is part of something bigger. Do you remember in John 9 with the man who was born blind from birth? His disciples ask, or Jesus' disciples ask him, why was this guy born blind? Is it because of his sin? Is it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no, it wasn't anything like that. His blindness was to bring glory to God. This man's lameness was to bring glory to God. He couldn't walk because God had something that was going to be happening in his timing to further his kingdom, to change this guy's life. Our hurts, the world's hurts, are only a small part of a larger story that God is working. 
our pain is not the author of our story. Our pain is not the focus of the story. And our pain is not the end of the story because God is directing the story. God is the author, the focus, and the director of the story. And every aspect of it is working towards his plan. The beggar's part in the story was to sit in a horrible, sunny, hot spot for three to four years while Christ is going in and out and not be healed, but one day to be healed, to participate in the birth of the church, to be a catalyst in uniting the church, to be a catalyst in sending the church out from Jerusalem, to participate in the beginning of the finalization of God's redemptive plan. May we not go through life as the beggar was in the beginning of the story, looking only for money, focused only on the material, forgetting that there are worse things than being poor. There are worse things than not being able to walk. But to see every aspect of our life story, to see that God is the director of the story, that the hurts, the suffering, the problems that we feel are all working towards something bigger. Every aspect of the beggar's life was that way. From his lameness sitting at the temple to calling out to Peter and John of all the people going into the temple that day. His famousness as a beggar bringing a crowd by the fact that he was able to walk. The fact that it was an hour of prayer which had a huge crowd there. Everything in this was according to God's direction and his plan. So may this give us confidence and courage as we take each step each day. If God is directing his redemptive plan, he can order the steps, the jobs, the successes, the births, the deaths, every aspect of our life to bring it to his desired end and glory. So may we not fail to be used by God. May we not fail to recognize the hurt in our lives as something to be redeemed by him. May we not fail to remedy that hurt in others' lives through hands-on reaching out. May we not fail to be caught up in the wonder of the message of the gospel, which has come into our context, which has redeemed us, which is perfect in its timing, flawless in its message, and amazing in its effect. May God bless you guys. If you need prayer, the elders will be up at the front. Crystal, will you come up and pray for us? If you are local to Concord, we would love for you to join us at Restoration Foursquare Church. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Consider yourself invited. You can find out more about us at rfcnh.com.